Many of you got, when you came in, hopefully you got when you came in, a copy of this little uh, pamphlet here called Life or Life Conversations, Three Circle Life Conversations. I want you to take that out, so I want you to look at it with me this morning. As we've said, we are in the process this December of doing a couple of things. We're wrapping up a couple of important Christmas gifts. And those gifts are, number one, the gift of prayer. In January, we're going to be starting the, um, uh, the Hoosier One prayer guide. So we're going to begin the Hoosier One uh, prayer time, and we're asking you to be sure that you have prayed for and asked about who your one is. So we're preparing a gift of prayer, that gift of prayer all through January, who's your one? 30 days of focused prayer for someone that God has put on your heart to know Christ. Last Sunday, we began handing these out at communion time, these little bookmarks. You'll be given a booklet next, next Sunday, but the booklet and this bookmark are going to be important tools for you in this prayer effort during January. So uh, we'll also have that available after communion time or at communion time today for those that need to pick up one. So that'll be 30 days of focused, concentrated prayer that we're lifting up to God for those we want to see come to Him. The other thing we're preparing during December is we're re-equipping ourselves with a fresh presentation of the gospel. Because while we want to pray for those who need Christ, we want to be sure that we also are prepared to share with those who need Christ. Many of you will remember two ways to live, and when we learned that particular method of sharing the gospel, it's a good one, one that some of you might prefer to use. But we've been teaching you this three-circle message. And we've encouraged you to look on your phones. There's an app you can get. If you search for Life Conversations, you'll find the three-circle app. You can put that on your phone. It walks through the presentation beautifully uh, for you. So uh, I want this today to take this uh, particular little pamphlet here because this is that message. And I just want to review with you. We've talked about some of these things already. The beginning of this presentation talks about the broken world that we live in. We're surrounded by broken lives and broken relationships, broken systems. Um, this brokenness is seen in what? In, in suffering, in poverty, in violence, etc. And brokenness leads us to search for a way to make life work. Now that second page says, in contrast to this brokenness, and this is where the first slide would come up, or this first little diagram, very simple diagram, just says God's design. And it's the recognition that God has designed us to flourish within His loving plan for us. God has a design and a plan for the world that He created. And when we're living within that plan, living within His guidance, we are discovering that we can flourish and grow. But we have a problem. And that problem is, is that we have opted to be resistant that we've rejected God, that we've shaken our fist in the face of God, that we've rebelled against Him. From the very beginning, we've rebelled and insisted that we could do it better ourselves, that we would have a better answer. Now, you'll note here the Scriptures down at the bottom on your little pamphlet here, Genesis 1.31 and uh, uh, Psalm 19.1. These are little passages that will show up in the app. When you open the app, 
and this comes up, there'll be a little thing with some dots there. You hit that, and those scriptures just pop up for you uh, right there if you're using uh, the app. So the second page, we say life doesn't work, right, when we ignore God's and His original design for our lives. And we selfishly insist on doing things our own way. That's what the Bible calls sin. Sin is not simply an activity. Never let the discussion of sin rest on a particular activity. Sin is a life choice. Sin is an attitude of living. Sin is hostility to the authority of God in our lives. And any discussion of sin, when you're talking with someone, will get off track, will go the wrong way if you insist on debating issues rather than the issue. Because the issue is our rebellion. The issue is that we are hostile to God and to His commands and to His Word and to His authority. We have resisted Him. That is the issue. And all of the brokenness then that we see in our lives, that second page, all of that brokenness is the result of our continued resistance to God. And you'll get in discussions with people that go, well, what about this? But what about this? What about people who do this? What about if I do this? What about this thing in my life? <clears throat> it's all besides the point. Because I'll tell you, when a person truly gets born again, that stuff gets sorted out. That stuff comes into clarity and comes into focus. Repentance, when you call someone to repentance... Don't ever call them to stop doing X, Y, or Z. Call them to quit resisting God. Call them to quit rebelling against God. The only two things that we need to know about are not all of the extra issues. The only two things we need to know is this, that God has said to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, that the greatest commandment is this, love your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so, my friend, if you can look at me and say that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you love God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your mind, that He's the central focus of your every day. He is the thing that your life revolves around. If that's who you are, are, then that says something about your relationship to Him. But if not, then like me, you can say, I'm a rebel in need of a Savior. I'm a rebel in need of a Savior. Now that brokenness, those little arrows going off, that brokenness will lead us to look for lots of things. Try to find some way to make sense of life. Try to find some way to scratch the itch that we feel, to gain the comfort that we want, to experience the love we think we need or the closeness or intimacy that we think will meet our deepest heart's needs. We branch out in areas 
They can end up in dead ends of addiction. They can end up in dead ends of bitterness and anger or dead ends of greed. They can end up in all kinds of places. But all of those just result in our brokenness. In fact, the little broken arrow there is really not a broken arrow. It's, it's meant to be like a rubber band. All of our efforts to find our happiness outside of God's plan for our lives ultimately snap us back to that place of brokenness. And so, at this point, and the pamphlet says, we need some good news. We need some good news. What is the answer? What's the answer to all of this brokenness? And the message is the gospel. Because of God's love, He did not leave us in our brokenness. Jesus came in human flesh. God came in human flesh, came to us, lived perfectly according to God's design. He came to rescue us, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He took our sin and shame to the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin by His death, and Jesus was then raised from the dead. And so, we talk about the gospel message, but then the next page tells us that simply hearing that good news is not enough. There's more to it than simply hearing good news. We have to respond to that good news. How do we respond to it? We respond by admitting our rebellion. We respond to it by admitting our sinful brokenness and stop trusting in our own efforts and our own abilities to try to make sense of life or make life be what it's supposed to be. Only God can do that. And so to repent and believe on the screen up here, to repent and believe is to say, I will no longer choose my independence from God. I will turn over my heart to Him. I will become dependent upon Him. I will trust Him. I'm dependent on Him for my salvation because I can't pay the penalty for my own sin. That's just an eternity of misery. I can't pay for my own rebellion against God. I don't want to be punished For that forever, I I need a Savior. And so I quit trusting in my merit, and I say, it's Jesus Christ, and I trust in His merit. I trust in His grace for me that He lived the life I could not live, and He died the death I dare not die. He did that for me, and He was raised from the dead. And so I can turn to Jesus. I can say, Lord, I want a change of heart and a change of life. I'm turning to you. Save me. And He will. He will. And then we believe, we receive new life through Jesus, and God puts our life into a new direction. And then we begin to recover and pursue. We recover what it means to really genuinely live in God's promises. We recover what it means to know what we were created for, why we were created, and to begin to pursue that relationship with God. And our good God sends us back out into that broken world to be ambassadors of His grace and His love. It's a very simple, simple message of salvation. It's a very simple message that can be clearly shared and should be clearly shared. And I want to, uh, to take the message from this point out, and I'm going to preach somebody else's message to you. 
I'm going to preach someone else's message to you. And I happened to come across when I was doing some reading for our study of Hebrews coming up in February. I'm reading a book by David Martin Lloyd-Jones, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and the book is called Jesus, the High Priest of Our Confession. And it's some sermons he preached and some studies he did on in, in Hebrews. Hebrews 2 and 1 through 3. And, I, and as I read this, I was just, um, I was just struck by the power of what he was saying and the need for that. So Hebrews 2, 1 and 2, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Now let's go ahead and skip over to the next verses. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How can we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? salvation. Because salvation is the main thing. Salvation is the main issue. And responding to that salvation is what we call people to do. And there's a warning that I've read here in Lloyd-Jones. And I'm going I'm to summarize a little bit of what he says. I'll be quoting and summarizing throughout the thing. I'm just giving the caveat up front. I take no credit for any of this. This is D. Martin Lloyd-Jones material. Uh, I hope it becomes my material. Because the warning he gives about this neglecting this salvation, the warning he gives is this, is that we need to be sufficiently aware of the methods and the devices of the enemy, of Satan. Because one of his devices is this, is when he knows he has failed to keep a man through vice, he'll try to keep him through religion. If a man cannot be kept out of heaven, the devil fails to put a claim on him in just utter rebellion and sinfulness, then he next encourages him to consider the gospel the wrong way. And folks, here is where we have to be careful because we can present the gospel incorrectly so easily and so quickly because our hearts are tender and we care about the needs of others. And so we will, just by sheer act of what we consider kindness, accommodate. So I want you to listen to what he says here because he mentions that there's large numbers of people in the world that have never given the gospel, uh, any thought at all, and they don't propose to do so. They say they have no use for it whatsoever. It's entirely outside of their lives, and so the enemy has control. They're locked securely in the kingdom of darkness. But other people have a, a sense of failure or disappointment in life. And they have a sense of great loneliness in this world, or perhaps they might be assaulted by some other kind of trouble. But these people are beginning to think and to turn in the direction of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church. And at this point, what the devil will do is he will do everything he can to persuade them that they are basing their thoughts on the right thing 
when their thoughts are actually based on something far removed from that. He will encourage them in their false interest in religion. And this is always a danger. This is a time of crisis. It always happens at a time when men and women become um, frantic, uh, if you will. They become frantic. They're prepared to clutch at anything that seems to give them hope. We've seen times like this in our country, right? After 9-11, what did all the churches experience? Wham! Influx of people. Did all of those people stay? No. Why? Because they were, they were in a period of crisis, and they were looking for something. They were looking for some answer. We have to be careful that we give them the right answers at the right time. Many people in the world believe things about God and about Christ, but they yet do not believe what the writer of Hebrews refers to as the, the things which we've heard. They believe that they're true believers in God, but can tell very clearly that there's no value in their belief in God. There's no life-changing value in it. Other, other people are not entirely wrong about these matters, but what happens is, and this is where our kindness comes in, they, they grab hold of certain aspects of the truth that particularly appeal to them and regard that as the whole truth. They tend to equate Christianity as a whole with a certain aspect of Christianity or a certain benefit of Christianity. They extract part of the gospel and say that is the whole. For instance, I'll give you several ideas about that. Many people in the world are searching for happiness. They're searching for happiness for various reasons. They've been made unhappy. They've been trying different things to, uh, to, to achieve that happiness. And they come to the Bible or they come to the church and to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they come seeking happiness. They listen to the gospel, but they're concentrating on that one goal or desire, and they find certain verses in the Bible that speak to the idea of happiness or joy, and they clutch at them and nothing else. They're not Christians at all. They've gotten hold of a theory, a philosophy, a form of psychology, if you will. They've reached out to Christianity. They've reached out to the Bible, but they've reached out to a certain aspect of it and have made that their own without dealing with all of the gospel. Same thing happens to many people who are seeking to lose their sense of worry or anxiety desperation. They become anxious, and, and, and they're burdened. They may, they may be on the verge of a nervous or mental breakdown of some kind, and they want to be delivered from that. So they come to the teaching that offers them deliverance. Such teaching will use certain Christian terms, and they accept what they hear. But the question is, have they become Christians? Have they really responded to the gospel? There are many agencies in this world that can make us feel much happier and can deliver us from worry and anxiety. There's good therapists and counseling and all kinds of things, medications, etc., that can deal with some of our issues of anxiety or worry or unhappiness. 
and still leave us far from Jesus. People who are seeking comfort, consolation. There's, there's many, so many broken hearts in this world. There's so much pain in our world. And they, they feel, people feel they've lost everything that makes life worth living. And they long for comfort. They long for, for fellowship, for happiness. And, 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 and the gospel of Christ can be presented as something that comforts people that comforts people and no more. Do you understand? Can you, can you pick up on what I'm saying here in terms of what we can, how our kindness can lead us to address someone and say, well, I'm so, I just feel like I've got so much worry. Well, God can help you with that. The Bible says that we can have joy. The Bible says that we can have peace if you will, if come to church and say yes to Jesus and et cetera, et cetera. And now they think, okay, to get this benefit, to get this benefit, I will need to adopt this way of thinking. To get this benefit of comfort, to get this benefit of self-soothing, to get this benefit of happiness, you see? And we can respond to people based on the hurt that they are sharing with us. And of course we do. We can respond on the basis of the hurt they're sharing with us, but fail to share with them the actual gospel that will actually deal with their spiritual state before God. Many people are interested in questions of guidance. Life's bewildering, perplexing. And the great question that's confronting us all is, what am I supposed to do? Which of these courses am I supposed to, to follow? Well, the Bible has a great deal to say about guidance, doesn't it? The Bible has many great promises about that. Trust in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. The Lord will order your steps. The Lord will lead you into green, green pastures. The Bible says much about this. Wonderful things. But in presenting this to them, or if you look at popular, some popular preaching on TV or in books, they present all these wonderful things to people, but nothing else is mentioned. Nothing of the cross Nothing of repentance. The cross could actually seem an unnecessary part of it because we just have the good things being offered to us. Other people are immensely interested in physical healing of the body. Of course they are. We're all, as a result of sin, as a result of sin in this world, we're all subject to illness. We're all subject to disease. Sin's brought that in, and we face it. Death entered the world with sin. There's probably nothing more universal in life to all of us than our bodies breaking down, and the pain that we experience, and the lack of health that we experience. And so, there is a message in the gospel that there is healing in Jesus' name. And there is very much the possibility of healing in Jesus' name. But, again, you can present that to people as, what, as who Jesus is and what Jesus wants to do for you and that He will do this for you and say, well, yeah, but if they get healed, wouldn't they come just running to Jesus? I don't know. Ask those other nine lepers that never came back to say thank you. I got news for you. Miracles will not turn people to Christ. If miracles would turn people to Christ, all of Judea, all of Galilee, all of Jerusalem would have turned to Christ. Don't buy that. 
But we present it to people and they latch onto it without them coming to Christ. Other people are looking for spiritual reality. They're wanting to be, uh, I love, I love uh, Jones's phrase, they want to be in tune with the infinite. <laughs> Have any of you ever seen that movie Zootopia? Anybody ever seen Zootopia? Am I, am, I, am I the only one who's seen that? Some of you have seen that movie. You know that, but when they go to that, that yoga place or whatever it is, that big, what is that, a yak or somebody that's in there that's got that bushy head of hair and flies buzzing around him because he hadn't bathed in forever, and he's just like, oh, <laughs> you know. It's that in t- I think of him when I think of that idea of being in tune, in tune with the infinite. They want to feel that they're uh, at one with the heart of the universe. And they come to the Bible because it suggests that that it can do that for them. And they, and they extract that out of it, but nothing more. They say they want to know God. And many are practicing mysticism of one kind or the other, and the Bible becomes something simply something to add on to that. One of the great problems throughout all of the mission fields are what's called syncretism. It is the idea that one can become a Christian and can hold on to the Bible and yet continue to hold on to some of the fetish practices and and false worship practices of their old religion. Same thing happens in reverse here. People can add on to things that they think will help them to get in touch with the greater universe. And then there are those teachers within the church the larger church, that promise such nonsense as their being one with the universal Christ of which we all are a part of and will all become part of in the afterlife as we're subsumed into the cosmic oneness. Um, right? But they ignore the fundamental elements of the gospel of Christ. And finally, there are some whose great absorbing interest in life is simply they want to improve their living. They want to be better people. They want to be better people. They want a moral revolution in their life. They're seriously concerned about moral and ethical questions. They're not interested in the destiny of souls after they go out of this world. This is right now a very, very prevalent thing happening within the church. The red-letter Christians, those who focus on social justice, don't misunderstand me, I'm nothing wrong with justice issues. The Christians should be concerned with issues of justice. But Christians should be concerned with issues of justice because of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ and our understanding of what God's design is for the world. And our main emphasis is not simply on relieving suffering or oppression in this world, but in helping to confront people with the reality of their spiritual state before God, because all of us are going to die and face our Creator. How do we get right with that God? How do we come into relationship with that God? But there are many, many teachers now who help the church to settle the issue of eternity by suggesting that there is no such thing as hell, there is no such thing as eternal separation from God. God as a universalist will all one day be in the great hereafter with God and all will be made right and everybody will be coming in. So that's taken care of. So the gospel really isn't that important anymore. 
What's important is improving the lives of people here and now and being focused on issues of justice and oppression. And what they are doing is missing the point. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? People who think that they have found satisfaction. Here's the problem. People who think they've found it, I found healing. I found comfort. I found happiness. Uh, I I found a a greater spirituality. I found a a purpose of helping others. I'm, I'm being a better person because of the things I've learned from Jesus Christ. Here's the problem is that people who think they have found satisfaction are obviously not going to seek any longer. Those who feel they have arrived are no longer going to travel. Do you understand what I'm saying to you is you can short-circuit someone's journey. You can short-circuit someone's journey to the cross, to real salvation, if you stop short and simply apply Jesus as a band-aid to living and not as the only answer to the human predicament of our relationship with God. And here's, this is good. I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to read this um, verbatim from Lloyd-Jones. He says, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, he says, I want to show you that all the things I've been mentioning in and of themselves make up the wrong approach. The gospel of Jesus Christ gives happiness. It delivers us from worry. It administers comfort. It gives guidance. It teaches that the body can be healed miraculously. It puts us in touch with the infinite. It helps us to know God. It enables us to live a godly and moral and ethical life. But it does all that after it has done something else. All blessings follow in the Christian life from something else that has gone before, and I want to assert with all the dogmatism I can command is this, that if you think you will have the Christian blessings without having this other thing first, what's the other thing? Repentance, dealing with the reality of I need of a Savior, admitting that I am lost, admitting that I need salvation, giving up my resistance, coming to Christ, saying, yes, Jesus, as Savior and Lord of my life. I want your design, not my design. If, if, the, if that does not get done, if you think you can have it without that, then you are deluding yourself. You are a dupe of Satan, the God of this world, who has turned himself into an angel of light and is deceiving you. The blessings of the gospel follow belief in the gospel's central message. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about that the last Sunday of the month because there's more there, but we need to, we need to pause there to go to communion. Listen, friends, I know most everybody in this, in this room, and my sense is that majority of, of you haven't, haven't settled for less than knowing Jesus Christ. That you haven't settled for Christ to become some kind of antidote 
to life's worries, to the body's aches, to the need for guidance, to the desire for comfort, for the desire to be, find meaning, be better. I trust that you haven't settled for that, but that you have repented and said yes to him and said yes to his offer, this great salvation. I pray that if any of us have in some way missed it, in some way we've been saying the right words and singing the right songs and doing some of the right things, but at the end of the day, we can look inward and say to ourselves, Christ is not central to my life. Christ is not at the heart of why I live. The cross means little to me if I'm honest. I I, I, I just think I, I'm supposed to do this and do that, and it's all going to be okay. But Christ is not central. I urge you today, I urge you today, let Jesus be central. Let Jesus be not just the reason for the season, but the reason for living. The thing that makes life fall into order because it comes under His design, His control, His loving plan. Give Jesus, as we used to say, the throne of your heart. And if there's any question in your mind about that at all, when we come to the Lord's table in just a moment, Know that you can come out of your seat and come down front. And some of you might need to say, you know what, Jesus? I've never really surrendered. I've never really have. I've, I've just adopted things, but I've never really relinquished control of my life to you. I've never truly turned away from independence. And I do that today. I ask your forgiveness. And I give you the throne of my heart and thank you for your body and your blood that remind me of what you paid to make that happen. Some of you may need to come today and just be honest that while you've given Christ the throne of your heart, you know, you spend a lot of time trying to wrestle him over it, <laughs> trying to horn in on his seat. That's what this table's for. It's a place to come and to say, Jesus, <laughs> me again. <laughs> me again with my elbows and my desire to want to control. I surrender and I receive your love and your forgiveness afresh. Send me out as your person in this world. Yeah?